Well, good morning. Good to see all of you this morning. Second Samuel chapter 9 this morning. For the next two Sundays, we're doing two standalone messages. I want to be sharing with you two of my favorite passages from the Old Testament. But there's also a strategy to these two messages, because I want to use them to sort of set up and fuel our worship series that starts the first Sunday of August. And so though they stand alone, they're also going to sort of lay the foundation, the beginning of the foundation for our worship series that will start the first Sunday of August. Second Samuel chapter 9. It is my hope and prayer, as always, that, that you will put yourself into what's happening in the Bible. And I especially hope and pray for that this morning, that you will find yourself somewhere in this story. And I want to remind all of us, and I hope this will be an encouragement to us, that though this story, this incident, took place 3,000 years ago, it still resonates with us today. It is still very relevant to us. It still speaks to us. And the reason that should be an encouragement to us is when you and I are part of and do the will of God, everything that we do in the will of God remains forever and is always relevant. It will always resonate. It, it'll be just as powerful 3,000 years from now as it will be the day that we did it, and 3 million years from now, and 3 billion years from now in eternity. And that's exactly what we see here today. I want you to be encouraged that as you read this story, as you look at it with me this morning, if God is using it to speak into your life, if it's resonating with you in some way, then be encouraged. Every time you and I are part of doing the will of God, it will reverberate down through eternity, just as it did here in this pages of Scripture. This is a story about two men primarily, a man named David who now has ascended to be the king of Israel, and a man by the name of Mephibosheth. And so I'd like you to look at this with me this morning, and we're just going to go down through the first 13 verses of this chapter. And as we do, again, I, I want you to find yourself here. Maybe it will be in, in, in seeing yourself in David, and I hope that's true for all of us. I hope that what we see in David here, that, we'll, that, that will be in our lives. In fact, that, that will be the way we treat others, and it will be a growing sort of quality that we have in our lives to be like David was in this passage. We also may see ourselves in a man by the name of Mephibosheth, and I hope that God will speak to us through him as well and through the circumstances that we see play out here. So let's just sort of get into this this morning. 2 Samuel chapter 9. Then David asked the king of Israel, is anyone still left from the family of Saul? Now, let's stop there. Saul was the king of Israel at one time, the king who tried seven times to murder David. So normally, if a king who's now 
ascended to that position is asking, is there anybody left in that family? He's not asking it for a good reason. He's asking it so that they might find out who any of those family members are and literally slaughter them so that there are no rivals alive that might cause problems in the kingdom later on. But that's not the purpose that David had. That's not his heart. And I, I want us to be challenged and in and sort of emboldened by that as well, that no matter all that David had been through up to this point in his life, if you know the story of David, how he was protected by God all those times that Saul tried to murder him, how he was on the run for his life many times and away from home, all of that did not destroy the tenderness of his heart towards others. That is a good reminder to us that, again, our circumstances and what we go through doesn't have to define us. It doesn't have to change who we are fundamentally, especially with the Lord. That we can go through all that and still be a person of tenderness and kindness and goodness, even though maybe that has not been shown to us at all times throughout our life. So David asks, is anyone still left from the family of Saul so that I may extend kindness, favor, goodness to him? And then notice, for the sake of Jonathan. Extend kindness? This person is in some way, if there is anybody left, they're related to the one who tried to kill you seven times. Now you want to extend kindness? You want to extend favor? You want to extend some kind of goodness towards this person? Yeah, that's why David's asking. And then David qualifies it. He says, I'm doing this not only because obviously he loves the Lord, but because at one time he had a very special friend in his life a man by the name of Jonathan. And if you know the story of David and Jonathan, you know what a, what a unique relationship they had. And in fact, I think it points out to us that even in the Bible, this may be the only reference to this kind of friendship that you find in the Bible. That's how rare it is. Where two non-family members Two human beings that are simply brought together as friends have their hearts knit together in such a way, they, they have such a unique connection and, and bond that there's just something very special about that friendship. In fact, Jonathan even told David while he was alive that I love you, David, more than my own life. It's one thing for family members to feel that way about each other, but for friends to have that kind of kindred spirit, that kind of connection, that kind of alignment of hearts, that kind of bond is very, very rare. And then later on, after Jonathan passes away, David says, the, the, the relationship that I had with, with Jonathan was so special, it was unlike any other relationship I ever had in my life. 
All I can say is if you ever come across a friendship like that, a relationship like that in your life, thank God for it and thank God for them. Because that kind of friendship, that kind of bond, that kind of connection, that kind of kindred spirit, especially between two non-family members, is very rare. And it is a treasure in our lives that we should cherish. That's the kind of relationship that David had with Jonathan. And so therefore, because he always had Jonathan on his heart, that even after Jonathan had passed away, and went to heaven, Jonathan was something that was still there. Jonathan and his relationship was still influencing David, still making an impact on David long after he had went to be in heaven. It reminds us of the principle in the Bible that was said of even Abel in the book of Hebrews, that though he is dead, he still speaks. And it reminds us that you and I can have such a relationship with others. We can have such a, a bond with others, such a connection with others, such an influence and impact on others or them on us that even after Jesus takes us or them to heaven, they're still influencing and impacting our lives. The words that they said to us, the, the way we, we did life together is still influencing us long after they go to be with Jesus or we go to be with Jesus. That's the kind of, and that's why he says, I want to extend kindness, not so much because I, I'll even know who this family member is, if there even is one, but because for the sake of Jonathan. And when you think about that, we need to put ourselves even in, in, in the place of, of our relating to God, because in a sense, that's how God relates to us. He relates to us not because of us only, though he does love each of us and thinks of each of us as of great worth and value, but the reason why the Father especially does what he does for us and promises what he does to us and will do what he does for us is because of the love he has for his own son, Jesus Christ. And when you and I embrace Jesus, his son, when we put our faith and trust in him, then the father treats us in a certain way for the sake of his son, just as David did for the sake of Jonathan. So notice the Bible says, there was a servant from Saul's house named Ziba. So he was summoned to David. The king asked him, are you Ziba? And he replied, at your service. I, I want to point this out. It's very interesting to me that when David is addressing Ziba, that he is referred to as the king. You, you see that, say, for instance, in verse 2 or 3. The king asked him. Are you Ziba? And then in verse 3, the king asked, is there not someone? But when this passage is showing that David is addressing Mephibosheth, we're going to see later on, notice that he is referred to not as the king, but as David. Look at verse 6 and 7. David said, Mephibosheth? He replied, yes, at your service. And then verse 7, David said to him, very interesting, that when he's interacting with Mephibosheth, it's David. When he's reacting or interacting with Ziba, it's the king. 
there's a, there's a relationship there. So he's not just the king, he's David. And notice King David says in verse 3, is there not someone left from Saul's family that I may extend? Now notice in verse 1, it was extend kindness. Now he says extend God's kindness. God's kind of kindness to him. And that is a reminder to us that before you and I can extend God-like anything to others, we must first receive it and embrace it ourselves. The only way David could extend God's kindness to a member of Saul's family is because David had received God's kindness in his own life and knew what it was like. And so, therefore, he wanted to share it. He, he simply wanted to be a, a conduit of blessing, a channel of blessing to someone else because he had received God's kindness from God himself. That's the way our lives should always be as God's followers, that we receive God's love for us, therefore we can share God's kind of love to others. We receive God's grace, therefore we extend God's grace to others. We receive God's goodness and kindness into our lives, therefore we can extend it to others. The only way you and I can reach out and extend God-like qualities to others is by receiving them and embracing them ourselves. In a sense, David here is an example of what Paul said to the Ephesians in Ephesians 5.1 when he says, Therefore, let all of us as God's children be imitators of our Heavenly Father. Imitators. God treats me that way, therefore I'm going to turn around and treat others the same way that God treats me. And we sung about grace this morning. It's not because this member of Saul's family maybe deserved to be treated this way, but that's not how God treats us. That's not how David learned that God treated him. God did not treat David according to what he deserved. Therefore, David is learning to not treat others maybe the way they deserve, but the way God treats us. God's kindness. Ziba says to the king, well, one of Jonathan's sons is left. Uh, both of his feet, though, are crippled. Now, isn't it interesting that Ziba, the, the servant, does not identify Mephibosheth by name. Instead, he chooses to focus on his disability or his deformity, if you will. And I want you to keep your finger there because we are told that, well, this young man is crippled. How did that happen? Keep your finger in 2 Samuel chapter 9 and just go back a few chapters to 2 Samuel chapter 4 and verse 4. Here is where we find out how that happened. He wasn't born that way. It says in 2 Samuel chapter 4 verse 4, Now Saul's son Jonathan had a son who was crippled in both feet. He was five years old when the news about Saul and Jonathan arrived from Jezreel. What news was that? That Saul, his grandfather, and Jonathan, his father, had been killed in battle. And the enemy who killed his grandfather and father were coming towards him. And so the nurse 
obviously is in distress and, and, and wants to, you know, pick up this little five-year-old and begin to run. And the Bible says when she picked him up and fled in some way in her haste uh, to get away, he fell and was injured. And that's how he became crippled. And Mephibosheth was his name. So go back to 2 Samuel chapter 9, verse 3. Two things. First of all, I hope you can see yourself, though, in Mephibosheth in this sense. We are all broken in some way. Every last one of us. We may not have a physical disability in a sense like Mephibosheth, but all of us before the Lord in some way are spiritually, emotionally, and physically broken. And we need someone to put us back together and to restore us. We sung about that this morning. But something else important here, and you don't find this out until a little bit later on, but I want to skip ahead and then we'll go back. If you look at verse 8 of 2 Samuel chapter 9, when Mephibosheth is before David, as they're conversing, Mephibosheth bows and says, of what importance am I, your servant, that you would show regard for a dead dog like me? Mephibosheth is using a very powerful Hebrew expression here when he says, I just look at myself as a dead dog. It was an expression that said, basically, I look at myself as an embarrassing piece of garbage. Now think about that for a moment. Here's a young man. We don't know. Did he look at himself that way? Is that the way he defined himself? Was it just because he was crippled, or did he never really have much self-worth or self-esteem? Did he become that way because others around him, including maybe Ziba, defined him by his disability and his deformity, and so he grew up maybe, again, without, you know, a lot of positive reinforcement, and he was told over and over again in his life, you know, you're a nobody, you're, you're no good, you're of no value, you are of no worth. And the reason why I say we ought to see ourselves in this story is you and I know maybe in our own lives and maybe in the lives of family and friends that there are many people in this world who feel exactly the way Mephibosheth felt about him, they feel about themselves. That I'm not worth that much. That I'm an embarrassment that I'm of no value or no worth. We're all broken in some way. And what we're going to learn today is the way the king, in this case, this earthly king, King David, the way he spoke to Mephibosheth, the things he did for Mephibosheth, the grace, the kindness, the love that he showed to this young man changed the way that young man looked at himself. And I would say to us today, we need to let our king, the king of kings, 
speak into our life. And instead of us defining who we are and letting others define who we are, we need to let the King of kings and Lord of lords be the one who defines who we are and what value and worth we are to him. Just like Mephibosheth had to learn in this passage of Scripture. Notice then in verse 4, King David asked Ziba, where is he? Ziba told the king, he's at the house of Machir, son of Amiel, in Lodabar. Now notice something else here where David is being like God, and that is he is seeking out this young man. God did not wait for us to come to him. The Bible says we love him because he first loved us. God initiated this relationship. If he'd have waited on us, we'd have never got there. He reached out to us just as David is reaching out to this young man. And when Ziba says, well, he's at the house of this Makir in Lodabar, very interesting. The words Lodabar literally mean no pasture or place of no bread, a barren place, a bad place to be. And it's also very interesting to me that Mephibosheth is now found in a place that says there's no bread there, and yet we know that David, the king of Israel, was born where? In Bethlehem. And what's Bethlehem? The house of bread. No bread, house of bread. He was in a bad place. And David is going to call Mephibosheth out of Lodabar and bring him to another place. For some of you today, it's time to get out of Lodabar. It's time to get out of that bad place that you find yourself in right now, that place that God does not want you to stay or be at, a place of no pasture, no refreshment, no encouragement, no bread, no spiritual nourishment. God wants to bring you out of Lodabar and bring you in to his plenty. So King David, verse 5, had him brought from the house of Machir, son of Amiel, and Lodabar. And don't miss this. This is very important. Notice David in verse 5 did not simply send for Mephibosheth. No, David made a way for him and provided the means for him to come to him. It wasn't like David said, hey, Mephibosheth, if you're over there, you know, get on your crutches and, and make your way over here on your crippled feet. And when you get here, you get here. No, no. The Bible says David provided the way. David made a way. And I'm so thankful that when God found each of us in our place of Lodabar, where we were away from God and we were, we were not in a good place and we were in a place of no pasture, that God, through his son Jesus Christ, provided a way and made a way for us to come back to him. For we were not redeemed with corruptible things like silver and gold from our vain manner of life, but we were bought with the precious blood of Jesus Christ, a lamb without spot and blemish. And God made a way for us to come back. 
That's what's happening here. So when Mephibosheth, verse 6, son of Jonathan, son of Saul, came to David, he bowed low his face toward the ground. Why? Because you've got to understand, in this young man's mind, he was being called back to the palace to be put to death. That was the logical thing. I'm, I'm one of Saul's only living relatives. Saul was the former king who tried to kill the present king. I'm just going back to the palace and just having death pronounced over me. So can you imagine what was going through Mephibosheth's mind as he journeyed all the way back from Lodabar? He probably thought, I've already been in a bad place. Now it's just going to end for me. And maybe because he was in such a bad place, maybe he actually welcomed it. Maybe he actually thought this is finally going to be my release from this, from this life. Is I'm just, they're just finally going to find me out. I've been hiding here in Lodabar, but I'm hiding no more. The king has found me. He's called me to the palace. My life is over. And I'm sure you could cut the tension with a knife in that room at that point. Because the next words that Mephibosheth hears from the king, who as far as he knows is his judge, jury, and executioner, the next words he hears are going to literally define his life and maybe even his death. And notice what that first word is. David says, Mephibosheth? David, the king, called this young man by name. And notice, unlike Ziba, he did not refer to him. In fact, you'll never find where David mentions him being crippled. To David, that didn't matter. It didn't matter to David. It might have mattered to Ziba. It might have mattered to everyone else. But it didn't matter to the king. And the king knew him by name. Do you know what? Every last one of us in here, the king who rules the universe knows you by name. And he loves you. In fact, he knows every detail about our lives, which is why Jesus said things like, God even knows how many hairs you have on your head. Now, for me, he would have to go another direction, but <laughs> God still knows us intimately. Mephibosheth, I, I can't imagine. First of all, it's like, the king? The king's calling me by my name? And all I can tell you is look forward to that because one day, if you know the Lord Jesus is your Savior, when you and I go to stand before him in heaven, he's going to look us right in the eyes with his eyes full of love for us, and he's going to call us by name too. Don't ever forget the king knows your name. And of course, he replies, yes, at your service. There is a humility with Mephibosheth. He certainly does know his place. I'm standing before the king. But David said to him, and again, try, try to put yourself in the place of this young man. He's thinking, okay, he knows my name, but next, here it comes. Here comes my sentence. 
Here comes the pronouncement of my, of my death because I'm, I just have the unfortunate, you know, relationship with Saul. I'm his grandson. And David says, don't be afraid. Notice how quickly David seeks to quiet Mephibosheth's anxious heart. God does the same thing with us. Over and over again throughout his word and through his spirit in our lives, he tells his children, don't be afraid. I've got you. I'm the king. And I rule over the universe. And I am coming into your life, speaking into your life, because I want to still your anxious heart and quiet it. Maybe that's what God wants to do with some here today. And then David goes on to remove all doubts and fears from Mephibosheth and says, I will certainly extend kindness to you for the sake of your father. Wow. It doesn't stop there. If you go over to the end of verse 11, it talks about, and we're going to get to this in a moment, that Mephibosheth was a regular guest at David's table just as though he were one of the king's sons. I personally believe that David adopted Mephibosheth as his own son. Every last one of us that knows the Lord is our Savior, the Bible teaches that we have been adopted into the family of God. And that's why we can be so thankful that we are God's children, not because of anything we've done, but simply because we trusted in what the Son of God, Jesus Christ, did for us. And therefore, God says, you are now my son or my daughter, and I will treat you like one. But notice the inheritance, the restoration and the reward that David gives to Jonathan as well. Back in verse 7, he says, I will certainly extend kindness to you for the sake of Jonathan, your father, and I will give back to you all the land that belonged to your grandfather, Saul. Now, let's stop for a moment. Given that Saul was one time the king of Israel, this is no small gift that he's given Mephibosheth. It's almost like, think about it. Mephibosheth was this young man who was living in Lodabar in poverty with basically nothing, and now he's being given all the land that his grandfather ever owned as the king of Israel. You and I have been given inheritance through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Do you know that? The Bible says we have an inheritance awaiting us in glory, reserved for each of us, unfading, incorruptible, never fading away, not being damaged, nothing. No one can touch our inheritance and that God is restoring us out of our brokenness and rewarding us and bringing us back because only God can do that. And David, in a sense, standing in the place of God, was doing that for this young man, Mephibosheth. Do you see what's happening here? It is a reminder to each of us about the power of one life. And I hope that will be an encouragement to you. 
that God can use you just like he did David to totally change someone else's life to come into their life and totally change the way they look at themselves and even maybe the trajectory of their own life. God can use one, just like he did David. And God may want to use you in someone else's life. Maybe God has used someone else in your life to be that same kind of person. That when they came into your life, your life was never the same again. You will go out into eternity always looking back that that one person had such a profound and significant impact upon your life, and you will never be the same again. That's what was happening here. That was the dynamic. And then I love this. He also says, oh, and you, Mephibosheth, verse 7, will be a regular guest at my table. This is an invitation from the king to dine with him, not just occasionally, not just one day, but every day for the rest of his life. That's what regular guest meant, that Mephibosheth, think about it, was going to be able to sit at the king's table with the king every day for the rest of his life. I will submit to us that when you and I become children of God, when we become born-again Christians, Jesus Christ, the King of kings and Lord of lords, invites us to come and dine with him every day for the rest of our lives. We are able to sit at the king's table and be nourished and refreshed. Are you sitting at the king's table every day? You and I have that privilege we have that opportunity, but I dare say so many Christians live their life and never take advantage in the right way of sitting at the table of the king. In fact, this is so significant that notice it's repeated four times in this chapter. It starts in verse 7, a regular guest at my table. Then he refers to, he's talking to David, the king, to Ziba, sort of re reminding him, here's what I want done for Mephibosheth. And notice in verse 10, he says, oh, and by the way, Mephibosheth, he's going to be a regular guest at my table. Verse 11, the narrator, who I think is Samuel here, is saying, oh, by the way, Mephibosheth was a regular guest at David's table. And then finally, the fourth time, verse 13, he was a regular guest at the king's table. Think about the transformation here. You have a young man who always saw himself as an embarrassing piece of garbage, who was living in Lodabar, a place of poverty, with nothing to say for his name. And now, look at how his life has changed. He's now living in a place of plenty in the presence of the king of Israel. And God wants to see us to see ourselves in this passage as well. A regular place at the king's table. By the way, two, two more things, and then we'll wrap it up. Notice in verse 12, Mephibosheth at this point was not a little child, not a little boy. He was a young man. He had a son himself. And his son's name was Micah. You probably recognize that because that's one of the Old Testament prophets. You just add the H. And what does Micah's name mean? Who is like God? 
And I think that's one of the reasons why the Lord led me, even though this is one of my favorite passages anyway in the Old Testament, to set up our worship series. Because when you begin to think about who is like God, and you begin to think about the way David treated Mephibosheth, and then if you go, but that's the way God treated me. He didn't wait for me to come to him. He came looking for me. He extended his grace and goodness and favor and kindness to me, even though I did not deserve it. And even though I was broken, he never defined me by my brokenness. He always said, I love you and you are of great value and worth to me. I will make a way for you to come back to me. I will adopt you into my family as one of my children. I will restore you and reward you and give you an inheritance in glory, and I will make you a regular guest at my table every day. Who is like our God? And then at the end, after all these wonderful things, the Bible, though, does remind us at the end of verse 13, but don't forget, Mephibosheth was still crippled. Why would you end such a wonderful story with almost that reminder? Yeah, but he was still crippled for this reason. Yes, his physical condition did not change. Or we could even say his circumstances didn't change much in in the way for his own personal It certainly changed in other ways. But the Bible wants to leave us there because the Bible wants us to understand, though maybe God did not heal him of him being crippled, he never looked at himself anymore as that worthless piece of garbage. He looked at himself as a regular guest at the king's table. And that's why God wanted to leave the story, I think, hanging there. Because you and I, we all have that same choice, either the way we look at ourselves or the way we look at others. We can continue to define our lives or the lives of others by what we see externally that really isn't that important. Or we can define people and be defined by the way God defines us. To remember that God loves the world, every last person on earth, no matter what. And that every human being is of great worth and value to our God. And that none of us should ever especially look at ourselves the way Mephibosheth did that when we think about how God views us, how God speaks about us, how God defines us, that even if there's certain things in our life that may never change until we get to heaven and get the glory, we're not going to allow others to define us that way anymore, and we're certainly not going to put shame on ourselves anymore because God doesn't do that to us. So though his feet were still crippled, Mephibosheth was in a much different place spiritually and emotionally, even though he might not have been much different physically. God wants each of us to get that this morning. 
who is like God. Will you stand with me this morning? As we stand and close this morning, listen, the song we're about to sing, I, I just picture a waterfall just coming down from heaven, from the heart of our God, and just being drenched in the waterfall of God's love and grace and mercy and favor and kindness and goodness. And so I'm just hoping today that God has moved in this place and that each of us will sort of just lift ourselves up and just let God's waterfall of grace and love and mercy and kindness and goodness just fall upon us today. Because before you and I can extend anything like God to others, we've got to receive it and embrace it for ourselves. So I think God wants us to go out of this place and make a difference positively in other people's lives. But before we can do that, we've got to take it in. So will you take it in with me? And maybe even during this song, you just want to lift up your hands and lift up your arms to the Lord and say, Lord, just, just fall on me, Lord. Just pour out your waterfall upon me, God. And let me take you in this morning. God, we thank you for who you are. That even when you found us broken and in our own load of our place, God, you made a way for us to come to you. You adopt us as your children. You give us an inheritance in glory. And you make us a regular guest at your table every day. Oh, God, may we realize who we are, God, today. May what the king thinks of us and says about us change us forever, Lord. These things we pray in his name. Amen.